0: Private Lender Podcast, episode 47.
1: The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Jim Kramer, who said, Every once in a while, the market does something so stupid, it takes your breath away.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to creating and supporting knowledgeable and successful private lenders and helping people just like you and me participate in an alternative economy that's far, far away from banks or Wall Street brokers. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and you're listening to episode 47. Today, I'll be speaking with Gustavo Garza, who utilizes other people's money, private lenders, to invest in single family real estate across multiple states. Thank you for sharing your time with me today, and I really hope you enjoy the interview. I do with Gustavo, but before we get to the heart of today's episode, I'd like to pay the bills and salute our sponsor. This episode of the Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by CountyTaxSaleApp.org. With CountyTaxSaleApp.org, you get a very powerful lead generation tool in the palm of your hand, on your laptop, desktop, or any device you choose. Get real-time alerts for between 300 and 600 properties every month That are coming up for the foreclosure auction in harris county texas the third largest county in the united states with this intuitive design and interface the county tax sale app lets you search all properties with highly motivated sellers that are coming up for foreclosure auction simply search the map and click on a property to learn important details about that property such as the address owner's contact info minimum bid and a street view photo you can save properties to your favorites and contact the sellers directly and receive email and text alerts if one of your favorite properties is redeemed are canceled prior to the auction. You can even listen to Sammy Gupta on episode 28 of this podcast as he discusses all the powerful features and benefits of CountyTaxSaleApp.org. For more information, go to the Private Lender Podcast sponsor page, the show notes page for this episode, or to CountyTaxSaleApp.org. That's CountyTaxSaleApp.org. And please support the County Tax Sales app and 713 RIA. And while you're at it, please go to ThePrivateLenderAcademy.com. That's PrivateLenderAcademy.com and sign up to get on the waiting list. I am still in the process of trying to put something together. It's taken a lot longer than anticipated, but go ahead. Your email is safe with me and go ahead and get on that waiting list so you'll be one of the first to find out when it actually launches. This episode will air the Monday before Thanksgiving 2018, and I'd like to give a little bit of a rant since I, I have your ear while you're on your commute or, or jogging on the treadmill or running. And that's, we're coming up on Thanksgiving here and Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And it's, you know, it's a, the biggest shopping day. That's when all, you know, the companies, they go into the black so that you know, they make money. Now it's just all profits. And if you're participating in Black Friday shopping, I'm going to ask that you do yourself, your family and society in general a huge favor and that's to please act like a civilized human being, act like you were raised properly, act like you have some sense and act with self-respect. Please do not end up a news story and another statistic and for Pete's sake, please do not go to jail. Okay, rant over. So, I met today's guest uh, just after the podcast launched earlier this year and um, I'm really excited to have Gustavo on the show and to have him talk about his his business model, what he does how he invests, where he invests, and how he's able to fund all of his deals with, with private money. So let's go ahead and cut to the chase and get to the interview with Gustavo Garza. Lender Nation joining us today is Gustavo Garza, the CEO, head guy in charge, and main check writer of ClearPath Property Solutions. Gustavo, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast.
1: Thank you, Keith. I didn't think you were going to take me seriously when you asked me like, what's your title and that you would actually say all that, but I appreciate that very greatly. Thanks, man.
0: Well, thanks for being on. And it, it goes, just goes to show you the hustle that's involved in running your own business. So let's get to that hustle. You are a real estate investor full-time. Go ahead and walk us through from uh, the very beginning to your company today.
1: So I got into real estate because my wife and I wanted to buy a mobile home, Park. And uh, I was working a six-figure oil and gas job, doing well. And we wanted to start getting some passive income. And then we got to the point of almost closing on this park. And we kind of stepped back, Goes, do you know what you're doing? And she goes, no, I thought you knew what you're doing. I was like, no, I was pretty much BSing all the way up until this point. How about we figure out what we're doing first before we go and buy, I think it was an $800,000 mobile home park. And not a, not a small investment <clears throat> at all but something that we were like, oh, we probably should figure out what we're doing. So that's when we kind of went and uh, we did one of those real estate programs that everybody likes to knock and, and so on and so forth. And I'll keep their, keep their name out of it. But if you know me, you know who we're talking about. And I'll tell you what, man, that really just kind of opened my eyes. It was essentially like the scene in the matrix. Do you want to take the red pill or the blue pill? Do you want to forget everything and go back to your ordinary life or do you want to embrace the knowledge that you have just received and completely open your eyes to what's out there? And I really felt like that was a decision that was being made. And uh, and so when we did that, I mean, we, out the gate, we started lending money. We did in the second lien position. We did pretty good our first year, made a total return on our capital of about 29% between points and interest. And we jumped into home staging of properties that were do- being done by investors, we started marketing for deals and it was just like a flood of us, just like, what can we do? What's possible? And really kind of figuring out what we like, what really kind of interests us. And my wife really hates this analogy, but I call it, I was sleeping around in real estate and uh, and I just hadn't figured out who I wanted to marry yet. And so therefore, I, I got to have a little fun. I got to try a little bit of everything before I kind of figure out where I want to sink my teeth into and so throughout that process we flipped houses we've wholesaled we've lent money learned a bunch of different stuff in the process and where i kind of fell into my niche and where what i really enjoy doing is building the relationships really getting to know people and raising capital for the projects that we have and been able to do that where i'm based here in houston texas and we raise projects for uh raise capital for projects in florida in iowa and here in texas and most of our lenders are from other states outside of those states, and they rarely ever see the projects that we're working on, which I feel is a little bit unique because for the small stuff that we kind of do or for dealing with a lot of small investors, I feel that most people want to go see the project that they're putting their money into. So for you to be able to raise money, put it in another state where they're never going to see the project, where they're going to rely on you and trust you in order to handle their money properly and to be successful, I feel that takes a certain approach to be able to make that happen.
0: I would have to definitely agree. And I'm going to stop you right there because I've got like six notes that I want to go back and unpack a all little right. bit, if that's all right with you. Yeah, so, let's do it. So I'll get to the second lean position in a minute. But I love the fact that you you invest not just in Texas, but out of state. And you are able to raise funds from other out-of-state investors who will never see the property. Whereas I always tell the newbies, and start in your backyard, go see it, touch it, taste it. Go see where the dead body was is lying, the outline or the chalk or whatever <laughs> yeah. of the house, just so that as it, it just helps build the experience for a lender. So, and I met you at a Quest IRA event, if I'm not mistaken. And, that is correct. Yeah, you, know, you were looking for some funds. So, see, see right there, just proof positive, uh, Lender Nation, go to the meetings, go press the flesh, shake hands, meet people like Gustavo, because he can put your money to work for you. But all right, that's a little commercial for Quest.
1: Quick note to that, because I have not been able to raise a dollar out of Quest. Not $1 out of Quest. Really? Yeah, because when I say, where are the projects? Iowa, not interested. I want to make sure that's here in my backyard. So there's a big perception. And it's really funny, because I can raise a lot of money out of Dallas. I've been very, very unlucky in raising funds here out of Houston. Most of the lenders in Houston want to lend in Houston. They don't, they will not even consider, even if the numbers are fantastic. And it's something I'll kind of go into a little bit because the fact is, is like really with Quest, you show up, you try to raise capital and you can be consistent. But the fact is, is like, are you truly building a relationship? Just going to a meeting for 30 minutes. It's very difficult to do that. And I think that's where I've been able to raise a lot of capital is because I'm building those relationships first and not asking for money. And this is one of the things that I kind of figured out. And I'll go into that a little bit more once we unpack a few more of those uh,
0: notes you got. Cool. All right. Yeah, no, that's uh, I, I find it interesting that you haven't been able to raise anything out of Quest Houston. So I didn't quite realize that. I know you got projects all over, but that's kind of funny. And here's another thing, you, like a huge red flag went off for me. You said you started with second liens. I'm not going to interject any prejudice into that. I just want to hear your story. How did you get what made you decide we're going to start on second liens? How did you keep yourself safe and just kind of walk us through that?
1: Absolutely. All right. So there is, what do they call Method to the madness. I think that's what they call it, right? There is method to this madness because (laughs) so many people told me, do not, whatever you do, do not lean in the second position. And then you have all these gurus and all these programs saying, hey, look, you can do real estate with no money out of pocket. And it's really hard to do that without finding somebody to be in the second position. So I feel like it's two worlds colliding. Don't do second position, but find somebody that will So that it's not your money that's doing it. And so that you can make a deal and get no money out of pocket. So what the craziness is, is what I did was I am a really a physical learner. I like to put my hands on things. I like to learn from other people's experiences. I feel like I'm a replicator. If I can see it, I can replicate it. And that's where my strength is. So part of lending money in the second position was not only validating the deal, but negotiating with the people saying, I want to take part in this project. So that gave me hands-on experience to be a second lean position with people that had already been doing the business for a little while, get to know their construction costs, get to know the contractors that were good, get to walk the projects, what to look for, how to view what something is gonna cost, how do they determine their numbers, how are they able to walk through a house and in under five minutes have a really good idea of what their budget is gonna be and be accurate with it. All of those things were things that truly fascinated me. And how can I convince somebody to give me the time of day. Hey guys, guess what? I have money in the second lean position that I'm willing to fund one of your projects in return for all this knowledge. And to me, even if I had walked away with not making a dime on that, the experience, the knowledge that I would have gotten from these people would have been worth it because that supercharged my way into where I've got today in such a short period of time is so that's how I feel.
0: I am so glad to hear that because I took a very similar path but I didn't do it in the second position. I ended up lowering my interest rate to the borrower, but in exchange I said you have to walk me by the hand through everything. We're going to go look at the property, we're going to do this. And so the same thing like if if even if I just got my initial money back, I made no interest payments on, on that loan, the education that I got from that was tremendous. And to me the biggest part about private lending is is like you said those relationships and the learn. I mean, I I like to say to lend and learn or lend to learn because there are so many different facets to real estate investing. And the fact that you went into the second lien saying, okay, did you have any equity or just the second lien in the beginning?
1: Yeah, it was typically, uh, I went to a lawyer. I said, look, I'm going into second lien lending. And they're like, Uh all right, really? I was like, yes. Draw up the best documents you can and let me know what I need to do to best protect myself. And smartest decision I made as far as doing that second thing is not only like the, I knew that I was bringing value in the second Mm lien, So I could even charge a higher interest rate and points and so on and so forth. So I was reasonable. But the second thing I did was I looked for people that would lend money back in the second position. Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll lend you in the second position on the contingent that when it's time for me to do a project, you will reciprocate. And so in return, like, I'll tell you what, I'll lend this to you at a decent rate in return that when I need money, you lend it back at me at the same rate. And so it was kind of like that barter or an exchange system. And so that when I got my first deal, I had no problem funding it and having zero money out of pocket because of the fact that I had built those relationships up when I first started.
0: You right there are a shining example of what I like to call the alternative economy where we don't need banks and brokers because you've negotiated that. Look, I'm going to loan you some money in the second position, but I'm going to need that favor back from you. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And it's simple and clean right? I mean, outside oh, of the, getting the, the lawyer to draw up the documents, but that's what they're there for. That's a very clean system. I like that.
1: And I'll tell you what, not everybody followed through with the promise. I, sure. I can't force them, but I'll tell you what, the people that did are the people that I have some great relationships now with. And I know that for any project I have here in Houston, I could call them up and I've got some money waiting for me to be able to use it on that project.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's what it's all about. That's great. Okay, so we got through the second lean. You've navigated through that minefield skillfully and beautifully. I like that. And you do a lot of out of state investors. So tell us how, um, well, if you can, give us a 30,000 foot view of how Gustavo Garza raises money.
1: So, not, not at
0: Quest in Houston, but elsewhere in the country.
1: So essentially, I go to a bunch of real estate conferences. And what I do is I build up a little social media around it. And I go to these conferences and I host dinners. And in these dinners that we host, We talk about real estate and everything like that. And I tell people exactly what I'm going to do. And I said, look, here at this dinner, I want to walk away with at least $100,000 in new private capital. And I want to break this down because not only am I looking for your money, I'm going to teach you guys in the same breath of air how to go raise money yourselves for the projects that you have. And I go, look at this. We have right here 15 people at this table. I go, guess how much? Because I'll, I'll cover the bill for the dinner. I said, and we'll go to these restaurants, and this is the key, and I'll share this with all your listeners because this is a great way to keep your expense down, but what you get out of it, huge. I get this entire table of people, 15 people, and I order the hell out of appetizers because usually big plate dinners are overpriced, and they have way too much food that people can never finish in the first place. So I order all these appetizers, cover everybody's first round of drinks, and I get them sat down for like an hour, an hour and a half. I have never had a bill for a dinner like this go more than $400. If I'm able to raise $100,000 for a small project out of this dinner for 400 bucks, that's 0.4% of my money going to raise $100,000. And I can guarantee anybody out there, if you said that, everybody's heard this before, would you guys spend $400 to raise $100,000? I think everybody would be like, hell yeah, I'd totally spend it. This is a practical way to do it because now you have 15 people at a table that you're talking to. You're like masterminding. You're asking questions. You're getting to know them. You're building the relationships. And here's the thing that we did. And we started doing at our dinners that really kind of brought people together. And we said, Hey guys, I want to try something different. It's like, Hey, I appreciate you coming to dinner and everything. in return. This is all I'm asking for you. I want to go around the table and I want everybody to share their biggest fear that they manage or deal with in real estate. I am fearful of calling people and negotiating. I am fearful of raising capital. I am fearful of this. And what it really comes down to is a lot of the people at the table share the same fears. So not only do they have people that can, they can now relate to and build a stronger relationship at that dinner, even if it's not with me, if it's just like, hey, we share the same fears, How let's let's hold each other accountable to see if we can overcome this. And it, that just brought everybody so much closer together. And then with that, everybody just wanted to help each other out. And in doing so I had people come and go, you know what? I don't have the capital, but I know a guy that does. And I really like the dinner. I really appreciate you doing all this. And I really love it. I would love to put you in contact with. Me. And just doing something like that has really helped us grow and bring in some of those bigger money lenders.
0: Nice. I like that tactic. And for, yeah, four hundred bucks to get hundred grand, that's uh that's a no-brainer. But I, I do like expensive appetizers, so just to let you know.
1: <laughs> hey, I, like I say, hey, or, or like what do you guys want? We just go two of these, three of these, four of these, six of these, whatever, and we just spread it out. They get full, and it's amazing because the appetizers they'll fill you up so quick and it just costs so much less on a per person basis. And it's a really great tactic. And the thing is, is you're feeding people and you're buying them a drink. So unless they're ordering like a hundred twenty dollar glass of whiskey, they usually the thing is is when somebody's covering your drink, you typically don't order the most expensive. They'll get like a beer or a margarita or something like that, and it's really not a big deal.
0: Cool, interesting. So of the let's say of these fifteen that you have at the table, kind of um, break it down for us. Of like, what are some of the common characteristics of them, and what do you have to look for and maneuver? Because you're you know you're dealing with people, so like you know they're worse than snowflakes, right? No two are alike. So how does uh? After you've shared the fear, how else do you, uh, I guess, bottom, how, how do you get money out of them?
1: So here has been my approach is I work to help them solve their real estate problems. And when you take care of somebody in return, most people want to do something in return for you. And it's like, you know, the saying like, Hey, the greatest compliment is a referral, right? Mm-hmm. If I've helped you in something, the greatest thing you can do is refer somebody of something I'm looking for Usually in what I've done is I go out and support other real estate investors. People have called me because they're looking for solutions or just creative ideas on how to do something. And I'm going out and I'm taking the time to help people. And in return, that's like, I've helped one of our lenders. They lend us money. Uh, I think total about $100,000. They've had such a good experience and I've helped them and answer questions and do a bunch of stuff that they referred me to a lender that over a million dollars. Just because I consistently, I'm not just there going, hey, I want your money. Hey, I want to make you successful. I appreciate what you're doing because you're making me successful. How can I make you successful? And in return, I'm really going out there and trying to build a network of people around me that I'm not just benefiting. It's not just a one road street. It's a two way street. So I call them up and they're like, oh, do you need money for a project? No, I wanted to call you today and ask you, what can I do for you today? Is there anything I can do to help you today? And since this is where I spend all my time is raising capital, I have that ability and I have that luxury of time to be able to really build those relationships out. Because they say, like, as a manager, you can effectively manage like eight people. If you effectively managed eight relationships, that would be a task for anybody trying to do a full time position. Since this is my full time, I have a list of about 30 people that I consistently call. And what can I do to help you? I tell them some of the new things that we're doing, give them new ideas we just talk about things. And when you feel like you have that support system in there, you just want it to grow because you're just thankful of what you have and the people that are around you. And that's how I've been able to build this. And this is why I kind of like, when we talked previously about this, it's about the relationships. When you have a relationship with somebody and somebody is consistently there for you, what do you not want to do? You don't want to disappoint them. You want to help them become successful because they're helping you become successful. And when you have that much positivity behind you and all these people going out and looking out for you and wanting to help you grow, it's almost like bird dogging, but in a different perspective because I have this group of people around me that are looking out for my best interests that are networking for me and knowing what I'm looking for and bringing those people to me because of the network we've built.
0: Beautiful. And that's my favorite thing about real estate is the people, it's the connections. And there's a lot of power in not wanting to let somebody down. And using that as, uh, or having that is motivation for somebody to help you or for you to help somebody else out.
1: And I think when, and talking about the relationship aspect, and so there are two points that I want to bring up that I think people really kind of fall short in as far as when they are looking to raise private capital, or if you're a lender and everything, you probably deal with this on a consistent basis. People take your money for granted they're just like, they always expect it's going to be there. They're just like, hey, look, I'm making you this return. And granted, you are you are providing a service. There is benefit. You are giving them a return and, and so on and so forth. But most people never take the time to ask, like, how did you get your money? Where Did you work in a factory for 40, 50 years and backbreaking work, manual labor to build up this nest egg that you are now lending out so that you can live your retirement? What does that mean to you? Because emotion is really tied to everything we do. We cannot make a logical decision. It's impossible. And so with that understanding, then emotion takes part in a lot of the decisions that we make. And when you like somebody, you have that relationship, you want to do business with the people you like. You want to do business with the people that share the same views because you can assimilate in a lot of different levels of a relationship. But when you go in and ask a private letter, it's like, you know what, tell me a little bit more about how you got to where where you're at right now. Did you get bought out or pushed out of your own company that you built up? So you're kind of pissed off and this is the money that you got from it. And there's more anger than anything that has tied to this money is this money from an insurance payout because somebody uh, in your family passed away because of, let's say, a drunken driver or something. And so this money is tied to maybe a son or a daughter you lost or a spouse. So there's a lot of emotion in something like that. And now that you have this money, it will never replace them. But this is what you have left. This is what they left you. And if you don't take that into consideration, sometimes you don't know how somebody's going to feel about it. And so I really don't like getting into the touchy feely subjects usually, but in talking to more people and understanding where they got their money, how they got there, what they did to get to it and why they're lending it out really kind of help me understand and respect and then also know how to just communicate with them in regards to it. Said, hey, look, if your goal is to be able to start this foundation with the money that you're raising from here, let me help you with that. Let's make sure that we create something that's sustainable so that you can you this can go on for generations and generations. And when you dig down, a lot of people don't like to share the reasons that they want to do this. Some people say, oh well I want to make a great return. But why do you want to make a great return? Well, what is this for? Why do you want to do this? What is this touching in your life that's very important? Is it retirement, or is it a legacy, or do you want to donate this to help avoid drunk driving? Whatever it is, understand what people want to accomplish with money. Because if we assume those things, like oh, well, this person just wants money so they can cruise around the world and and buy nice cars and live in fancy houses, that could completely not be what they're looking for. And if you assume that, it's almost a little bit like offensive to the lender side because then they feel like, does this person really even know me? Like I thought we had a relationship, but this does, person doesn't even know why I'm doing this. They don't even know what this means to me. And so when you can help them accomplish their goals and what why they're lending and it, you can create those win-win situations, that's very powerful. But you also now have an advocate in your corner that's gonna say, you know what, man, this guy over here is probably one of the best people I've ever done business with And it's really not because of the money is because, man, this guy has really helped me do what I want to do. And when's the last time a borrower was talked about going, yeah, I lend him money. He's making a great return, but he helped me set up this foundation, put this in place. Now we're creating a son for my legacy for my son that passed away. And when you give back in that way, like you are just going to get a lot of referral business. and That's where a lot of my money is coming from now is referrals because of those relationships that we're building.
0: Great example. I like that. A lot. That's cool. So you have your dinners, you get people in, you start to learn about them you, and you look first, what you can do for them. And then that creates really uh, say allies and friends who, who want to do for you. Is that, is there another s- step up above that? Or do you, uh, like once you have that, uh, or you, you did say that, you, you know, you, you call, uh, periodically to see what your lenders need. And I love the whole legacy thing. So I assume some people have a legacy of a loved one or something that they're trying to build for and they're loaning you their money in order to facilitate that.
1: Yep. It's uh, talking to some of the private money lenders. Uh, We have one whose father came over here with nothing built uh, this good amount of wealth up and they have that wealth and they want to honor his legacy by helping other people immigrate to this country and have the same opportunity that their father had because it was something that meant a lot to him to be able to to come over here, to be able to start a life in the United States and what he was able to accomplish here. And he wanted other people to be able to accomplish that also. So when you take the time to do that kind of stuff, again, real estate, there's a lot of great things about real estate. One of the things is that it can impact people's lives in some of these ways. One, you're creating a house for a family to live in. So you're creating something that is gonna be a home for a family. Second, you're creating wealth in different levels for the person flipping the house for the person lending the money and everything and then the second thing is what You do with that money, right? Make your money matter What's the point of having all this money if you're not going to? Do anything with it, right? What legacy are you going to leave? And I think more and more people are talking about What impact they want to leave on this world? What do they want to be known for right and I think that's a question that a lot of people get asked it's like if you were going to be known for one thing Like if somebody looked back on your life and there was going to be one thing that stuck out, what would you want that to be? And what are you doing to try to accomplish that? I think that really is a, when you look into it, it's a very tough question. What do you want to be known for? And then if you're like, well, I want to be known for stopping human trafficking. Great. What are you doing to accomplish that? And I've really fallen short. And it's like, okay, well, let's not just have this as a lender borrow relationship. If that's what you want to do, how well, about let's put a plan together. Let's map that out together. Let me help you doing this. Sometimes all people need is kind of like that gym partner. So they wake up at like five o'clock in the morning. They get out of bed because they don't want to disappoint that partner. They get out there and do their work. And at the end of the workout, you feel 10 times better for that day because you got something accomplished. You're feeling great about yourself. But without that partner to hold you accountable, we make a lot of excuses. And that's something that we always do. And so I feel like, in some of those relationships I have, it's just like somebody just needs somebody to nudge them a little bit. And then at the end of the day, when they when you look back on the year, what were you able to accomplish? Well, we put a plan together. We started a foundation. We started putting money towards this. Wow, man, I never thought like I would be able to get this done. What kind, when you talk about building that relationship and you look at that, Keith, like where do you think that relationship is on a scale of like one to ten? when you can create that type of impact in somebody's life on helping them accomplish what they really wanted to accomplish, but never took the time to go do.
0: That's off the spinal chat tap charts. That's more than 11 on the scale of one to 10. When you have that kind of impact in somebody else's life. And that's great because you've touched on this area that are not, you haven't touched on it. You live and dwell in this area that is uh, very rarely, rarely spoken about or, or talked about in the real estate community. It's definitely there though. It's palpable. You can see it, you can taste it, but, I like the fact that that's your take, and and obviously how many you take care of not only the people's money but the people as well. So, have you ever had to do a deed in lieu of foreclosure? Or Have you ever, um, have you ever lost some a private lender's money, or how have you how have you navigated through your investing?
1: I've always paid back every penny that we've borrowed from a lender. We've lost some money on some projects. Thank God they weren't large losses or anything like that.
0: Everybody but, does. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. It's, it's part of the game, right? Yep. But we've always paid back our lenders. And I think this kind of goes out. I'm pretty sure every lender will appreciate this and every borrower needs to know this. Just face the music. Just be honest and communicate what's going on. Hey, you know what? I think we're going to be losing some money on this project. It's taking a little bit longer, whatever. Just be open about this. I think most people can understand most situations if you can just communicate through it. I've had those instances and it was almost like karma. I lent money to a guy here in Houston and he needed three extensions because three closings had fell through and he finally was able to sell the property and he lost money on it, but paid me back every penny I was owed through the extensions, but he communicated through it. So I had confidence that I was going to get paid back because this guy was letting me know everything that was happening through this entire process. And the karma side of this is that he lent money to me on a project and I needed extensions <laughs> on a project that was taking us a little bit longer to sell and everything, we ended up losing a little bit of money on that project, but he got paid every back. And I go, I called him up and this is a great story. He goes, I called him up and I go, Hey, Hey man, I'm going to let you know I'm going to need an extension. He goes, Oh yeah. For how long? He goes, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to need an extension. He goes, bro. is like, you took care of me. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Cause I know you're good for it. I know you're going to pay me back. Just keep me updated and we'll get through this. And I said, all right, man, I'll keep you posted.
0: And I'm so and it glad. It
1: so funny because it was just that easy of a conversation. Dude, I got your back. Don't worry about it.
0: Well, that's what I tell people. Don't go ostrich. Don't stick your head in the sand and pretend like something isn't going to happen. Be upfront, honest, communicate with your lender and let them know. Like this guy, three closings fall through, right? I mean, the only thing, I mean, looking at kind of like a root cause analysis thing here. Like the only thing he could have done is gotten a different buyer. There's yeah. no scope of work. And there's nothing that he can do ahead of time. If there is, it's very little.
1: And the crazy thing is, is they backed out at the closing table. They Ooh. lost their earning money and everything because at the closing, what they were doing is they were trying to leverage, it was day of closing and trying to get like an extra five or $10,000 negotiated in like a few days before closing and for outrageous things. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And they thought that he would actually... Bend and give them what they were looking for versus losing the contract and selling the property. Mm -hmm. And so, and when he told me, he's like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna let you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back out of this contract for these reasons." And he told me why. I was like, "Yeah, dude, if I was in your shoes, I would do the exact same thing because that is absolutely ridiculous what they're asking you to do." And it goes that the house that you put together, it's priced well. That's why you keep getting buyers. But he just had a bad string of buyers in that area. Just outrageous demands at the closing table.
0: That's the thing. You totally agree with what he did, his strategies, but he communicated that to you. He let you know. And, Absolutely. And that is so key. Don't, don't borrow somebody's money and then go run and hide. That's like the worst thing, the absolute worst thing you can do from my lending perspective. So I do want to get back into, you invest in several states, not just Texas. Are you rehabbing, flipping the homes in, out of state? Or what, what's, your, what's your business model out of state?
1: Yeah, so we're rehabbing houses in all three of those states. Uh, A majority of it is in Iowa, um, in the Des Moines area. We're doing a lot up there. It's just a very steady, solid market, low price point. So it's very easy to find money for uh, those type of projects. And we're just turning them over very quickly. And and it's been going very well there. Florida, really, we got into Florida because we were bored and wanted to be able to write off business expenses to a beach location.
0: Ah, there it is. Yeah. There's the truth.
1: Projects in Tampa and St. Petersburg because we're like, well, you know, it's winter, it's cold in Iowa, Texas coastline's not that great. How about we do start doing some projects on the Florida coastline so we can take our families out there in business? Yep. And uh, and so we've got two projects out there that are coming to a close. And I tell you what, so I live in Houston, I've got a partner in Iowa, so Florida's really our truly remote place that we're we're rehabbing, and it it has taught us so much. We kind of got a little bit of a kick in the rear on those Florida projects. Luckily, we bought them right, so we'll walk away probably with a little profit or just kind of breaking even at this point. But it's a whole new perspective because you don't think about a lot of things when you can't really just go and handle it on a property because then you're talking about a flight and going down there, and if you're going to fly down there, might as well spend some time down there and really kind of line things out. And is it worth it or can we do this? And what we've kind of learned is we've got to leverage people that have skin in the game on the projects locally so that if the project's failing, they're going to lose and we're bringing in those partners where they're bringing in the second position money, but they're coming in at JV. So they have a lot more of the skin in the game than we do. Therefore they're a lot more invested into making sure that those projects are successful because they're bringing the cash together. We brought the main lending, which covers a majority of it. So they have all their cash in the game and finding those relationships and understanding the people that can do that—that that has been critical. And so, it was a good lesson learned. We figured out the people to do business with and not to do business with. And moving forward, we'll figure out if we want to do it or not. Or, as most people do in real estate, you're just consistently shifting your business model based off of uh, how the market looks and what you want to anticipate to ensure that you can stay profitable and stay successful.
0: That, that, yes, the shift, the ever shifting business model i think is probably the most fluid in, in real estate as as the markets ch- change uh, a couple of things you you said you bought the properties right i'm assuming you're talking about your ltv your loan to value on that or can you uh, unpack how you were able to buy but still you know you're still going to make money maybe not as much as you thought but it's still going to be a profitable deal
1: right so um the first deal we got in florida and in, in, it's actually in dunedin which is uh, right outside tampa we got it from a wholesaler, and we bought it at, I think it was like 67% of ARV for the purchase and rehab. So we've got a 33% spread in there when everything's finished, and that went well. And then the one that we did in St. Pete's, that was the stretch for us. It's an ARV of $1.3 million. We bought it for $500,000 with a $200,000 rehab. So in it for seven hundred dollars with an ARV of one point three. And the reason we got it cheap is the guy who was selling it was another rehabber, ran out of cash, just couldn't make another payment on it, needed to offload it off of his books. And so the outside of the house had already been done. We just had to redo the inside and do a bunch of landscaping and get everything sorted out. With that project right there, we brought him, we got him down from, he was, I think, looking close to eight hundred, And we got him all the way down to five hundred. So we got $300,000 off of what he was looking for because he needed to close in three days. Mm-hmm. And we were able to close in three days. And that's one of the reasons why we got it, um, bought that so right. So even though we've run into some issues with contractors and uh, what do you call it? And getting things done with, uh, with the city of St. Petersburg, because this is a historic house. Like we had enough spread in there that we'll still be able to walk away from it, even after having to pay all of our expenses.
0: Perfect. That's great. I mean, at one point that's way out of my wheelhouse and price range that I'm, I get comfortable with, yeah. but, that's uh, well it's just a, for me it's a holding cost you know it's the monthly ha- cost that, that kind of you know so you have your to prepare for it yeah exactly but i mean if you've got if you're in all in at 700 and you can pull 600 grand in the next 6 to 12 months i'd say i'm not the very good at math but i'd say that's a pretty decent roi um, yeah <laughs> so okay so you talked about your partner in in Iowa that's cuz that's what i was i was also concerned about your teams in the boots on the ground. Cause I, I assume, you know, you're not flying up every week or over to uh, you're not taking your beach holiday every week or every month uh, over in Florida or going up to Iowa. So from a lending, I am my, personally, I am getting more and more comfortable with the idea of lending out of state slowly, but surely. So kind of walk us through the process of how you keep your lenders. Um, well, one, the money safe, but two, keep them comfortable with the idea of, Hey, I'm, I'm in Houston, but I'm going to lend in an Iowa or Tampa.
1: So I I guess the biggest things that the conversations we have is we set boundaries for the relationship, as far as what they're to set the expectations of how this is going to go. I think that's one of the biggest things when you don't set those expectations, then people like, Oh, I can call him at 11 o'clock at night or two o'clock in the morning. And he should pick up the phone because he said I could call him anytime. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that you can make as a borrower in setting the relationship with the lender. Lenders like to know that there's structure, at least in my opinion, behind what you're trying to accomplish. If if it's like, "Oh, you call me anytime, and and this and that, don't worry about it," there anything goes, then it's like, is this guy trying a little too hard, or if he has all this time that I can answer a phone call, what is he really doing? So, I think with the lenders, one of the things we do is like, "Hey, look, when we're going to lend on a project. We're going to secure you this way. We're going to. This is going to be the term." And we'll kind of update you when we're about halfway through the project. And then we're going to give you another update when we've got a contract on the house and it's out of the inspection period. And so these are the two updates that you're going to receive. And just know that this process, no matter where you go, is going to be the same. You're going to get a deed of trust or a mortgage. You're going to get a guarantee. You're going to get a promissory note. These are the protections that no matter where you go in real estate, this is how they say that you need to be protected. We're going to easily provide those documents, get it recorded, go through this entire process that's your protection. And so like nothing that you say or do in between is really going to change how you're protected or the fact that this note is due in six months or nine months or 12 months. And it goes, we spend our time putting out fires or dealing with the projects and making sure that we get through this and monitoring the market so that if we do need to make a shift or if the market takes a turn, we can have a conversation, not just say, Hey, we have a problem, but hey, here's the problem and this is our solution to it. And these are the options that we have going forward. And I think there's a certain appreciation for that because you're saying, hey, look, here are the boundaries of the relationship. Here's our plan. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to execute. What questions do you have when somebody lays that in front of you saying, this is the structure that we follow. This is how we line everything out. This is the process that we go through and we rinse and repeat. It's almost like a comfort knowing that there's a step one through 10 Has followed every single time in order to make something successful, and so when you ask like, how do we pick up people for other money? I said, well, the biggest analogy is like, well, do you own stock or mutual funds? Yes. Okay, we're the headquarters for your mutual funds. Well, I don't know. Well, shouldn't you know where you're sending your money? Right. Well, that's a good question. Okay. Well, what do they invest in? Well, I don't know. It's a growth fund, you know, in the technology market. You have, hey, I'm investing to this company, but I don't know all the little details of where they're putting the money. Well, no. And he goes, well, wouldn't you want to know that? He goes, well, as long as their performance shows that they're making a good return, then that's what I'm focused on. And I go, exactly. We have paid back every lender. We have done X amount of projects. Here's our performance. Does it really make a difference if it's here in Houston, if it's in Iowa or Florida or anything? You're lending based off of history and performance. That's how we've done everything. Why do we buy products, reviews? Where do you get the reviews from? History and performance. And so, when you take a look at how we evaluate what we buy and don't buy, or what we put our time and money into, it's based off of those metrics, not that really the details. Like, do I need to know what chip is in this uh, in the phone to process all the things? No. Do people like using the phone? Yes. They look at the overall product that's being presented and what they want to go after. And when you start to break things down like that, then people kind of get the idea, okay, now I can understand. But there's still that hurdle. There's there's still sometimes that mind block. Just like you said, you're getting used to the potential of the idea of less than out of state, but there are still those roadblocks. And why? Why do we have those roadblocks? Because in our mind, there was something that happened to us, or there's something that, that created an emotion around it that essentially has told us not to do it. Like was it a, a story that we heard of somebody who did it and lost miserably? Oh, well, I'll never do that because I don't want that to happen to me. There was that emotion that they brought with an experience that affected you and caused you to veer away from it. It's kind of like uh, I, I like to I like to put the analogy of cliff jumping. Right? You get a line of people and they all jump off this cliff into the water. Everybody survives. Everybody has a good time. You get to the edge of cliff. You're looking down. You're going, oh hell no. <laughs> but you just saw 25 people do it. 25 people be successful. 25 people enjoy the experience, but yet you're pausing. Why? Well, what if I can't do what they did? What if I slip and hit my head on the way down and lose consciousness? What if, what if, what if, what if? Would we do anything in life if we based our life on what is?
0: Nope.
1: So, I feel like some of those roadblocks and the thing is is that everybody deals with those different fears a little bit differently. And so this is another question which people say why do you even ask your private money lenders this? When you're having the conversation and they're like okay, well I have $100,000 to lend. And I go, "Great. How much are you willing to lose?" And they're like, "Why are you asking me that? Like don't you want my money?" I go, "Yes, but I don't want you to have a heart attack in the process." Like because if 100,000 is all you had to lend and let's say something happens and it's lost, What is that going to do for you personally? Is that going to create a relationship issue? Are you going to potentially get divorced because you just lost all this money in a real estate transaction? Your wife hates you for it and she leaves you, or vice versa? Or is this going to put your family into the position where you can't afford to pay your bills and you're going to have to sell your house or whatever it is? Like, I don't want to put people in bad positions. I want to build a relationship with somebody where we can grow together. And the best way to do that is not put somebody in a position that's going to create physical or mental anguish by lending out every dime that they have versus what they feel comfortable making a risk on.
0: That is a great question. And it's also a a foundation of risk mitigation and you as the lender, I I think it's a genius move that you're the one that puts it out there right up front, deal with it head on. I think that's a really, really good, uh, good strategy there. So I'm curious, uh, you've got a lot going on. You're raising private capital rehabbing and, you know, doing this full-time, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about uh, what you do, how you do it, and, or maybe if they'd like to get involved and start lending out of state?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The best way to get a hold of me right now is I've got a business page, Gustavo Garza, and Keith will put the link to it uh, in the notes for this podcast or anything. Yes. But if you just find, look for this beautiful mug on Facebook, it, I look all cleaned up in a suit and everything.
0: It's like, like a it's 20-year-old viral. Brad Pitt. That's what he looks like.
1: There we go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you find me. And if uh, if you uh, just contact me through there, uh, I'm more than willing to help uh, people out. Any questions, just reach out to me. I try to respond as quickly as I can. That's the best way to get a hold of me since I'm on a lot of phone calls and conference calls and stuff like that. But I can respond to those messages really quickly, set up a time so that we can have a chat. But if you have any questions about lending or raising capital, or really don't want to talk real estate, love to hear from you. Love to see what your questions are and see what we can do to help you get started. Or if you're already started, help you grow.
0: I'm curious. I have one more question that I've stopped asking guests, but you've rattled my brain. I'm curious. What book are you reading right now?
1: I'm going to give you two answers to that. All right. Typically I despise people that are always putting up books like for, Oh, what book are you reading? Like hashtag entrepreneur, all that stuff. So I always respond Dr. Seuss's green eggs and ham. I go, that's the foundation of my business.
0: That is a great book, by the way.
1: <laughs> great book. But they're like, really? And I was like, yeah, man. Whenever I get in trouble in business, I go back to the basics. Doctor Seuss- <laughs> That's really what I go after. But in that's reality, great. like I said, I like learning for people. And mm-hmm. so like if some, if I want to learn about notes, I'll go find somebody who's crushing in the notes. If I want to learn about lending, I want to go see somebody who just lends full time and that's all they do. And i rather pay them to be able to figure out what they know and learn from them than to go try to read it out of a book because I feel books are mostly fluff and you do have content in there, but there's a lot of fluff and I don't want to waste my time. But the book I am reading right now is called steal the show. And uh, it's more about public speaking because one of the things that I thoroughly enjoy and what I've always done, even in the corporate world and what I'm starting to do a little bit more of now is just teach people, coach people, go up on stage, spread some knowledge, kind of doing what we're doing here in the podcast just helping people open their minds because if I say something that's over here, but it can correlate with a problem that you're having over here and I can help you solve that problem or come up an idea with something I said, to me, that's one of the greatest things that I can do is just expand the human mind and I really enjoy doing that and so that's one of the things that I'm personally working on is getting up for more speaking opportunities so that's why I'm really still the show to be able to portray that message a lot better.
0: Well, that's something you and I both share besides real estate is that a very similar vein, very similar vibe that I get. And I'm trying to increase speaking uh, appearances and whatnot. And so I will definitely check out uh, Steal the Show. And one thing I did forget to ask in the beginning, I just saw my note. uh, You said you worked in oil and gas at a lucrative job. What did you do? Where'd you work?
1: I worked at uh, FMC Technologies. I was a lead installation engineer for uh, the Gulf of Mexico, oversaw all the installation of subsea equipment for Inadarko and Lock.
0: I understood every single word you just said, and there's probably only about 25% of the <laughs> folks listening, yeah. but cool, FMC, subsea, basically well-controlled system, well, uh, well, Christmas trees, BOPs, and the uh, production equipment down that sits on the, the bottom of the ocean floor. Yes, sir. Perfect. That's cool. Uh, well, I'm glad you're in real estate. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I met you and, uh, and, uh, we've, uh, we've, you know, got a, developed a bit of a relationship and I, I can't thank you enough for coming on uh, the podcast today and just sharing what you do, how you do it. And I think that Lender Nation is a lot they can learn from you from this episode. And so thank you. And if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And there will be show notes. I will send you links galore, all that fun stuff. And everyone who's listening If you want to get in touch with uh, Gustavo, just go to the uh, show notes page and we'll have the links there so you can get in touch with him.
1: Keith, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Uh, The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. I'd like to thank Gustavo for coming on today. I currently don't practice what he does. I don't invest in other states. So I'm really grateful that he came on today and shared his thoughts and his wisdom. And for more information about Gustavo and what he does please go to the show notes page at com. So folks, we are a third of the way through the fourth quarter. Yes, I said that. And it's time to get your goals for 2019 laid out. But after, and only after, you assess your progress for 2018, of course. Let's see if we all can't get on the right foot in the new year, but let's do it before the new year gets here so it's not cliche. Let's go ahead and get started right now. Okay, I'm going to ask again. Please go to theprivatelenderacademy.com and get on the waiting list. Please rate and review, and you know promote your business or your passion when you leave a rating and review. I'm going to read them off on the air. And in fact, today I'm going to read one from Dinda. I'd like to thank Dinda for leaving a rating and review. And Dinda says, "Great information for real estate investors. Finally, someone is teaching private lenders who isn't asking you to lend to them." That's true. Uh, This is great information for all levels of real estate investors who want to learn about private lending, whether you want to learn how to lend for truly passive income, or if you want to learn how to borrow without using banks, this is the podcast for you. Great job, Keith. Thank you, Dinda, for taking the time to leave that rating and review. And I greatly appreciate it. It feels a little weird. It's a little shameless self-promotion, but I'm very grateful. So thank you. And just for the record, I'm not opposed to borrowing from a listener out there. It's just that that's not my primary goal. Uh, someday I would like to develop some of my own relationships through this medium for lending. But for, for right now, it's just about uh, getting the word out there, getting the knowledge, you know, letting people know that this can be done. And yeah, so I'm not opposed to it. Just remember that. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you again for your time. And I want to wish you happy and prosperous investing and a happy Thanksgiving. Don't go to
1: jail. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.